Welcome to the Epsilon Theory Podcast with Dr. Ben Hunt. Please stay tuned for some important disclosures presented at the end of this episode. Hey listeners, welcome back to the Epsilon Theory Podcast. I'm producer Michael, and we've got a great lineup for you today. It's a full house here. We've got Salient's co-founder and president, Jeremy Radcliffe, Salient's executive vice president of asset management, Rusty Gwynn, founder and CEO of Engram Labs, Neville Crawley, and of course, Epsilon Theory author, Dr. Ben Hunt. Well, it's great to be here, Michael, and I'm, I'm, I'm joined by three of my favorite people, my uh, partners and uh, partners in, in, in business and also in, in, in thinking about the world. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to let uh, uh, one of my partners here, I'm, I'm, I'm going to let Jeremy be the, the straight man uh, for this discussion. But w- what I hoped we could explore here was, at least as a starting point, was the, the, the most recent Epsilon Theory note, which is called Tell My Horse which is the, the, the title of a Zora Neale Hurston, you know, one of my personal favorite authors, uh, Zora Neale Hurston book uh, about uh, voodoo practices. She was an anthropologist as, as well as a novelist, but about voodoo practices in Haiti and Jamaica. And the, the, the way that voodoo works, and I knew nothing about it until I read this, this, this book, which was published in the 30s, but the but voodoo ends up being a very transactional religion, which I, I find is a, a wonderful concept. And the the notion of the transaction is, it's not enough just to pray to an angel or a deity. What you have to do is you have to serve that deity, uh, and and in particular you have to serve what they call the loas, L-O-A, uh, and these are the you know Baron Samdi, which we you know, see in James Bond movies and stuff like that. But you know these these different um, they're they're not they're not really the the gods and goddesses. They're the, the the intermediaries between the big gods and us humans. But you have to serve them. You know Baron Samdi, you gotta you gotta give him his cigars and his rum uh, for him to, to 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 intervene and come help you out. And, and then the way they help you out is not by just presenting a gift of acting in some disembodied form. The way they help you out is they uh, take you over. And this is, this is the notion of they, they ride you like a horse. Uh, they possess you. Uh, and this was, of course, the, the, the title of the book. Because what the, what the possessing spirit will, will, will do and say is very different from what the, uh, the the horse would ordinarily do or say, as you can imagine, right? And of course, that gives liberty and of that person whether they're being controlled or not to act out in certain ways. And and as they act out, if they're acting out in some maybe socially uh, um, some manner in which would otherwise be frowned on in in polite or impolite society, the response is always after as well. Tell my horse. What I did, so in the sense that it's uh, it's it's very foreign uh, once you're possessed by the spirit, and what I wrote about in this note is that I think there's a real connection between the process by which one uh, becomes a believer and then possessed by a transactional religion like voodoo and what's happening in our modern markets. And that, that transition is really all about this, this central question that I posed. How does one cope with, how does one survive 
a market that is totally foreign to, to, to what you've uh, been raised to believe in. Uh, the, 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 the modes and the methods of the market seem very foreign to you. It's not working for you. And yet you see the market going up, you see prices going up, and so you want to believe, you want to participate. How do you do it? How do you do it without losing yourself, without becoming a horse? And that's what I wanted to explore again with the, the three of the smartest guys an, I know. It's an all-star team. It's an all-star today. team. So, so, so Jeremy, I'm going to let you, you guide the discussion, but, 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 but that's the, the topic that I'd like to cover today. Well, first of all, it's, it's, it's always a pleasure to be here with you, Ben, and, and to be shamed by your well-readness because the rest, the rest of the, the, uh, the, I would suspect many of our listeners, their, their familiarity with um, voodoo is, is probably more akin to uh, Joe Boo from Major League. Uh, and, and his and, and the rum, the rum and the and the chicken, um, but uh, great we, movie, a- absolutely. Uh, but one of the things that, I, that you guys were talking about before before we kind of hopped on the air, so to speak, was about w- this, uh, you know, and following on from the from Tell My Horse, which is what is what is the nature of self determination here, and and do we really have you know control over over what we're actually doing in the markets or thinking uh, and the notion of um, of algorithms and how they play into this whole this whole concept and um, so I wanted to see if Rusty or, or Neville wanted to jump in here and, and start the discussion along those lines you know in, in my mind as I've thought about this it's it's in, in a lot of ways it's a function of our perception of the permanence of whether it's the horse uh, that's riding or the or whatever's riding us Right, and you know, one of the things that I was I was thinking about earlier was some of the examples, whether it's from you know my experience or from history, where we observe capitulation and and what does it look like when one of those parties demonstrates some form of self actualization or what they perceive as being acting in their own self interest. You know, the first thing, and I was I was commenting to Ben that uh, that it popped in my mind was as usual from history, which is from World War II, right? And so capitulation can take can take a lot of different forms. Um, and, and I was thinking about how did the Soviet Union respond to the threat of Nazi Germany, right? So you take yourself back to 1939, and it was... Only Rusty would, would, would come up with these examples. <laughs> but it, it's, it's sort of, it's a different form of capitulation, right? It's not Vichy France. It's, it's 1939 Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, right? So Russia gets together with Germany and says, you know what, instead of going to war, let's just Let's just buy into the notion. Let's capitulate to the notion that Germany is going to take over Europe, and we'll do it together. You know what? We're even going to share in Poland, which will be fantastic. Now, the reality is, underneath their skin, the Soviets are not idiots, right? They they know that that Hitler has written in Mein Kampf that his great vision was to see the Slavs turn into the slaves for the Germanic people, and so he has is they have no delusions about what's going to happen, and so the the form of their capitulation is surface level recognition of the new reality, and underneath it's forming 162 armed divisions to fight them at some point in the future. Now, of course, they thought it was going to be three or four years. It ended up only being two years in the future that Operation Barbarossa sent all of these German divisions to the east to to invade the Soviet Union, but. It was an impetus to 
this sort of passive recognition on the surface, but underneath the surface was they stopped killing all of their generals and colonels and officers, which they'd been purging for the last eight years leading up to that point. They started building the divisions. They started putting together the defenses. They started developing the plans. They started inserting spies into Germany. They took all the underlying actions, which I would argue formed some form of self-actualization. We are buying into this reality, but it's only for show. Underneath yeah, it. but didn't Stalin at some point, uh, when the the news of Barbarossa came out, didn't he he didn't dismiss it as being untrue or, or impossible? Uh, he he on several occasions, and and it was a little bit of a cry wolf situation, and and it, and that was about the specific date. They knew it was going to happen. Stalin always felt that it was going to happen. He thought it was after everything in, fr in France and the UK was done that they would turn their eyes over to Russia. But pr it was a cry-wolf situation because the spy that they had ins inserted, what, storage or whatever it was, had actually reported previously three or four different dates I see. that the invasion was going to occur. But, but you know, Rusty, I, I, I described that example you just gave as actually kind of hopeful. Right, because it's it's a it's a it's a veneer or a surface of capitulation and going along with the realities as you describe it. But underneath, as you, as you, you point out, there's a notion of resistance, of of preparation for what you think is the inevitable issue to come. And and I, I, I think what we're seeing in markets today actually goes beyond that. It's 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 almost a second level capitulation, if you will. Mm -hmm. Right, that that that. You know, in, in my experience in, you know, preaching the, the, the Epsilon Theory gospel, you know, for the last, actually, four years. It was our four-year four uh, anniversary in, in June for, for writing these notes. But, uh, you know, I, I can remember that when I first started writing, and so this is in, in the summer of 2013, there was enormous resistance to the idea that fundamentals mattered quite little in, in our world of investing but that instead what mattered was uh, policy, uh, particularly uh, central bank policy, what, what I called the, uh, the, the, the narrative the, that of, of, of central bank uh, um, omnipotence. Not that they were omniscient, not that they knew anything and couldn't make a mistake, but that the results, market results, were driven by central bank policy. So let, let me tell you where I'm at on that spectrum then, because, okay. again, I think it's about periods of time. So I was a, re I was a resistor to the notion for, for quite some time. And I think the accommodation mm -hmm. that I made was the belief that it was impossible to completely divorce fundamentals from the underlying value of something, but it was possible to stretch the rubber band, so to speak, mm -hmm. of what's determining prices as being central bank action, being policy for a very long time and much longer than people expected. So I I never in my mind completely capitulated to the idea that even that central banks could do this, but rather that the amount of time in which non-fundamental characteristics can be what drives multiples in the direction of markets could be much, much longer than we expected it could be in the past. But one day in the future, it's all going to work again, and it's going to pop back like a rubber band snapping off your finger. Yeah, and, and listen, I, and I think that's where so many people were for a lot of years. So if I can kind of put dates on it, by, I'll call it the, the summer of 2014, the resistance I had to this notion that, look, You've lost the war, right? So, you know, the, 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 the Germans are taking Europe. The, the, it, it's, it's, it's central bank policy all the time, not just in the U.S., but 
obviously in Europe and and, and Japan as well. By the summer of 2014, I think there was there was very widespread, I'll call it first level capitulation or accommodation, like you're describing. That yes, it's driven by central banks now, but it's temporary, and I'm going to prepare. And different people have different notions of that preparation. For some, it was to reject participation altogether. Yes. Stay in cash all the way through. This is this this ends terribly, either you know hyper this or hyper that. Well, and then stay in cash morphed into stay in passive. The same, right, right. It's the same view, though. Yeah, yeah, very much the same view. What what I'm describing is kind of the, this, this I'll call it the, the second level of capitulation, if you will, where it's now more from, all right, central bankers are large and in charge right now, but this will end someday, and, and so I'm going to prepare for my resistance out of this. And what I'm seeing more and more is that that resistance has now been replaced by believing in your heart of hearts that what that the central bankers are there and they're for you, they are for you and to support you. And, and that's the the transformation that I think is very human. I know Neville, you and I were talking about earlier about the notion of you know if if you're a prisoner yeah. in an environment, what's the human reaction? It's first to resist. You, you know, it's your um, you know. What was it? Stalag. Uh, what was the movie? Um, oh, Stalag seventeen. Stalag seventeen. Was it seventeen? Yeah. yeah, right. That that you're going to resist and you're you're planning your escape, but then then you become a prisoner. If if anybody's familiar with the, the 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 prisoner TV series, right, where most of the inhabitants they come to believe. Right. And, and, and I thought that was really interesting, what you were talking about there. Well, and I love the metaphor we've got to here of a, of a central bank occupation, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. and, and the evolution of the human psyche through the occupation and different agents sort of get to different levels, just, just like in any occupation. And we're entering later stage occupation, you know, where the food supplies run out and <laughs> like we're really pretty dependent here. And, and I'm yeah. about to sell out Jeremy for, for candy. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. But, 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 you know, it's also different, though, because the occupation has been a big bull market. Let's not forget that. Right. It's, it's a Roman right. occupation where you're getting rich and you're, you know, it's, <laughs> it's like, the Roman yeah. occupation. Right. That's right. And, 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 and it is the human response, but, but I find it, the, the level of the response, it's, 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 it's changing. I, I see in more and more uh, people who now believe well, it's a it's a natural human impulse, right? I mean, and you could see it in in all sorts of different literature, right? The the skin changer is is a common trope, right? Especially in fantasy and science fiction, right? And and in every case, there's always this sort of cautionary tale about if you wear your other skin too much, it becomes your skin, right? Mm-hmm. And and whether mm-hmm. it's you know the uh, in the uh, the ice and fire, you know. Uh, uh, George R. R. Martin and the the wargs, which is not a unique uh, characteristic there. Whether it's Bjorn, one of the characters from the Lord of the Rings, who becomes more bear-like over yes. time than than, yes. than man-like, um, or you know, even just I think a lot of those you know the, the quotes we think about values, which is look, you, you spend your life pretending to be something. At a certain point, you realize that that's what you are in what you've become, and so it's over time. Yeah, we. We, there is a natural inability, I think, of the human animal to resist the, that form of capitulation. I think it's very, very difficult. But, 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 but I think that's exactly why it's been so hard for many people, uh, many investors, because what you can't do, I, I don't think, 
or you can't do well as an investor is change your stripes, is change your skin. Right? If, 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 you're, if you're a value investor, you can't reinvent yourself as a, a, a growth investor. You, I, 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 think that's, I think that's true. And so the, the, well, I think what's been so difficult for so many people in our business is, well, how do I make myself relevant? How do I reinvent myself or my firm when I, 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 when I can't really? You know, and, and, and I think what a lot of people do is, is you, you, just, you just abdicate that. You abdicate that to, some, to someone or something else. So you can abdicate that to uh, a, a new uh, idea like, oh, well, I'll hire a quant team, you know, to do that. Or, or I will um, uh, just do uh, passive investing, right? And, you know, we've, 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 we've run that into the ground, right? That, that, that there's nothing passive about what passes for passive investing. It's an active choice. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a way of, 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 of somehow not changing your skin to become a different type of investor, but just stepping back in a way and abdicating your responsibilities entirely. I tried to start this hopefully, but you've taken a step. <laughs> no, I have. I, I have, right? And it, but, but, this, but this is the struggle. You, you know, did how... And, and, and frankly, I, I think that there was a, a significant change in the, the prison environment, right, just, just a couple of weeks ago with uh, the, the, the change, for me at least, a, a marked change in the narrative and the statements and what I think will actually ultimately be the behaviors of our of our new gods or our prison wardens or however you want to describe it. Well, that's that's what I find interesting here, Ben. And what I want what I want to dig in a, a little bit with you on is it seemed like in Tell My Horse we you were you were lamenting the kind of the the end of um, what was the what was the term that was the traitor dad traitor dad bro. Uh, banker. Oh yeah, that, someone yeah. else. Someone else wrote that. Someone yeah, else yeah. wrote that. Yeah, I yeah, thought it was, was, that was, it was, a, it was a good piece. The, the death of that uh, of that whole uh, you know type of individual, um, and then it, it was not a week later where you come out and say, "Hey, the world is the world has actually changed, and it's it's time to you know uh, to look at things differently." Uh, and and is that well? Here, here's here's what I was talking about because. What I what I find interesting about the the newfound faith in central bankers, right? The this this second level capitulation that it's not only we've been occupied, but now let's embrace the the, the occupation, right? Let's 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 believe it, right? What what, what I find interesting about that is that uh, the 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 truth is that central bankers. Are themselves prisoners, right? They they they, they are they are themselves actors and agents within their own uh, environment and, and and system, and and they don't. They're not there to make the stock market go up, right? What are what are they there for? They are there as central bankers, and that means that they too are in service to. They are in the prison of, the prison of capital versus labor. And I, and, I, and I don't mean to get all Marxist with this, but, but inevitably there's a little bit of that, that here. But why are central 
banks and central bankers there, why do they exist? They exist to prevent inflation because that's so destabilizing to a status quo political establishment. So, so what do I think upends this uh, cozy, codependent, this happy prison, <laughs> you know, the Roman occupation, as Neville says? Well, what upends it is if the, let's say, the, the, the central bankers, the new gods, the prison wardens, however you want to call it, when they have to fight a battle of their own. And what we have today, really for the first time in the last eight years, is now that it, what's happened is that central bank policies, they have a real decision to make, right? It, it, was, it, was, it was easy to have easy money because it, it, it accomplished all of a central banker's goals. We're, we're propping up financial assets through our extraordinary policies, and we don't have any inflation to worry about. We're improving the labor market. We're improving employment because we were starting from such a low bait. We were starting from such high unemployment that. That's right. Yeah. That's right. But now we're at a point where their goals are starting to come into conflict. That's what we're seeing today. When you when you've got an unemployment rate of four point three percent, I whether or not we believe in Taylor rules and you know that that inevitably leads to wage inflation or the like, it's kind of immaterial. Our prison wardens believe it. Janet Yellen believes it. And moreover, these were her own words, her words, this is a point of instability. Her words, this is going, the, the unemployment rate is growing lower. Her words, look, we have to contain this. And, and, and so, so my view is, is that what's changed is that we as autonomous individuals, whether we're resisting or not, right? What we, what we have to understand is that, is that their battle is now changing. And we can talk about the $10 words for this reaction functions and the other things we can talk about from a, you know, the, the economic lingo. But this to me is what has changed. Now these choices that our new deities are making, they've got their own conflicts. And I think that to understand what decision they're going to make, one has to look at their incentives and their battles and their prison, not at what is convenient for us. That's where I am. Because I think the policies they're going to take to combat inflation, which they see as, if not present today, inevitably present tomorrow, the policies they're going to take are going to be it's the old policies of taking away the punch bowl for the market. But what is compounded with this today is, is not just taking away the punch bowl, the sense of raising interest rates, but it's also unwinding the extraordinary policies that they took on over the last eight years, meaning that they've accumulated 14, I'm talking about global bankers, uh, central bankers globally, $14 trillion worth of assets and to unwind that, well, that impacts markets in, in, in it, it had such a direct impact on markets, both on the way up when they were buying everything, but also as a force on the way down if they're starting to sell. And it, this, isn't, this is a slow burn. They don't do it overnight. They'll jawbone it. It'll go slow. I get it. 
But these are the inflection points that changes everything. And it's, and it's those inflection points that I, I think are particularly important for us to identify whether we're a new believer, an old believer, a resistor, wherever we are in that, in that dynamic, this is what matters to us for, for what our, our behavior should be. But does the, does the individual, does the, the Ben Hunt who is so focused on intentional action and self-actualizing, doesn't he have a bias to false po- identifying false positives? Doesn't isn't he more likely to be the spy that says the the Germans are invading the Germans? Oh God, are invading? yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so why are you right this? Why are you right this time? You've been right before, but why this time specifically? Do you think? Um, what feels different? That's a great question, Rusty. And, and, and I and I ask myself all this time: Am, am I am I looking too hard for the opportunity for the resistance to, to rise up? Right. So, so that's that that that's always the um, uh, the because I, I think of myself as as a member of the resistance. You're the leader right? of the resistance. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it sure it sure feels like it, it's we're 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 at one of those inflection points. I mean, you 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 guys are students of the markets far you know. At, at far greater levels than I, but but usually at these times, don't you see big leadership changes within sectors? And we've certainly seen that but over the last couple and, of weeks. And this is where I was going to go. Thank, thanks, Jamie. This is where I was going to go with this. So so, you know, my noticing something means nothing, right? What and, and you know what I what I write about and try to focus on is, all right? Well, what do we see missionaries? use the game theory term, taking up this, 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 this notion that something has changed. And, and, and the answer is yes, absolutely, right? Uh, and, and, and I can kind of go down a list of names. I'll, 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 I'll pick out one. So it's a, it's a guy I, I respect a lot. It's uh, David Zervos at, at, at Jeffries. You know, he's an economist, right? And he's, he, he's been right for so long and he was always talking about, look, the central bankers are going to, 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 to pump up all financial assets. Right? You, know, you know, get on board and, and, and go down this, this line. But what he also said, and this goes back years and years, he said, don't, don't ever mistake that the central bankers are actually your friends, right, or your deities. It, you, you have to understand that at some point they're going to be taking these actions that go against you. And, and so even the people who have been, I think, very – uh, correct missionary, much more right than I've been about, you know, not resisting, right? Here's, here's the way things are going. They've always had this in the back of the mind that, that at some point this changes. Why do I think this is the point? Because A, the central bankers are telling you this is the point, right? And B, these other missionaries, you know, whether it's, um, um, who's the guy who was at PIMCO? He's uh, uh, now at Allianz. Elarian. Uh, right? So, so talking about the, 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 the reaction function changing. Uh, you know, guys I, 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 I think are pretty smart observers. You, you, I'm seeing this more and more in the, in the, in, in the narrative, in the, in, the, in the missionary pieces. And then, to Jeremy, to your point, you're seeing it in the actual securities. You're particularly seeing in the bond market where this is most pronounced, and that's absolutely what we've been seeing the last few weeks. And it's not so. It's not just the Wall Street Journal article saying, "Oh, hawkish. What do investors do?" 
it's also people who have been on both sides of this. And this is the old Bayesian notion, right? That, mm. that, that what, what, what is a really important information point for you is when someone who has been very much on one side of an argument changes sides and saying now it's different, that's an important or a, a very useful information point. It should be for you from a Bayesian perspective. And I'm seeing a lot of that. A lot of that. Well, you, I mean, that characterizes you over the last, you know, nine months at least. I mean, you were talking, you've been talking since the beginning of the year about it, about a, this market being a two by, you know, needing a two by four to, yeah. to knock yeah. it over. And, and it seems like this is the two by four. And, 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 but look, to, to Rusty's point, I thought there would be other two by fours. I, I thought that, 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 that political change particularly in Europe, would be a, would be a two by four. But it, turns it out it's not. but it turns out it's just garden variety, un, unemployment rates going down and fear of, fear of inflate, wage pressures and inflation. It's, it's the old notion, you know, of, you know, central bankers essentially taking away the punch bowl. Mm. But this punch bowl is a much bigger punch bowl, and it's, you know, not just the punch bowl. They're taking away the, the, the oxygen in the room. But we, we were hearing hoofbeats looking for zebras, and it turned out it was the horse. It was just to, the, it to was, get back to the horse again. It but. was the horse all over again. So what do we do, right? Because that that's the the real question. Um, because if 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 this is right, if this is this sort of shift, which is both a, a, a repeat of what's happened in the past, again taking the punch bowl away, raising interest rates, but coupled with oh, but they're also selling a bond portfolio, uh, which their their whole intention of buying the bond portfolio was to force investors to take on more risk than they otherwise would, to, to, to raise uh, asset prices, to create inflation financial asset prices. I mean, this, this was the whole por- purpose of, again, the $10 phrase, the you know, uh, portfolio transmission in- impact of large-scale asset prices. This is the whole point of, of buying stuff. And we're at a point now, you know, my, my kind of, I'll call it, threshold level of, a, of an asset class that's big enough to cause systemic risk is $10, is $10 trillion, right? So we had $10 trillion in mortgage-backed securities, uh, you, know, non, you know, residential mortgage-backed securities. That was the, 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 the focal point for the great collapse we had here with Epicenter in the United States. You know, today we've got this $14 trillion in central bank assets. We've got more than $10 trillion worth of uh, interest, uh, negative, negative uh, rate-bearing securities. Right? That, so we, we've got a big enough um, thing that is going to be resolved um, that I think creates this sort of systemic issues. So what do we as investors do? Do you write it out? How, how do you write it out? How do you how do you how do you survive in this? And so, you know, both it, it leads to a different question than than we started off with with tell my horse, but but it's 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 a pretty crucial question all the same. Well, and and I think that we're treating it as being a a different regime and that a different question, but I'm not so sure that's how many of the, the rest of the resistance would even see it. Because I think that when other investors talk about what they're resisting, it isn't just the, the primacy of, of central banks, but it's, it's, it's passive investing and the, the, the trend in that direction. And it's also this, this boogeyman that is algorithmic trading and algorithmic investing and this notion that 
you know, we're all, it's all just machines making decisions anyway. So even if the central banks have changed direction or relaxed control, it doesn't really matter because our, you know, our overlords in Silicon Valley are making all the decisions. This is the abdication, right? This is the abdication. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I want to pull it over to to, to Neville on this because I, I, you know, you've discussed, I think, pretty eloquently yeah, that this this whole notion of of, of algorithms, what that what that is, because I, I find there's so much. Um, well, one thing is one thing an algorithm is not is it's not a logarithm, despite what the New York <laughs> despite what the New York Post um, was writing about today in that in that Smithsonian uh, imaging uh, color imaging article where they misused the term logarithm when they were trying to say algorithm. Um, but when we're talking about algorithms, I do want to before we move on with this, I want I, w- I do want to ask Neville to define the term algorithm because it's it's used it's getting used so broadly today as a mar- as related to markets and I, and I, my suspicion is that there are a lot of people out there like myself the straight man here who don't quite understand exactly what an algorithm is let me try and set out an algorithm which will result in which will result in a 10 dollar phrase which for fun, okay. right so so what we could do we could set up an algorithm which is generate a random string of numbers right Rearrange those numbers so that um, you put primes first and then you go from low to high after it. Multiply the two numbers that are next to each other by each other and you get a new set of numbers. And then you use some formula, you know, some, some algorithm with an algorithm to convert that into um, a series of, of letters. Then you take your series of letters and you try and get the highest Scrabble score, the best $10 word you can. And there you go, that's an algorithm. Right. On one hand, you've got some inputs, you've got a set of actions, you've got some transformations, and you've got an output. Yeah, this, this may not be the highest value algorithm in the world, but nonetheless. <laughs> right. And, and so, the, so the question I come to on this is people talk about algorithms in terms of you could clearly write a computer program to do that. Clearly, you could also get a human to do that. It's, it's a sort of a reasonable algorithm that is somewhat generalized. It works across a bunch of things. You, you, know, you get some interesting outputs. But I think there's this sort of great confusion about... Yeah, you know, algorithms are not understandable, and they're specifically the domain of machines and you know all kinds of other stuff. And it's and it's it's just not true. I mean, there's we talked about um, yeah, we talked before about the, the the turtle traders, you know, which was this uh, what, what was his name the the oh yeah R- Richard Dennis the uh, the prince of the pit, you know, born in <laughs> 1950 or so in Chicago, mm-hmm. who who took uh, 20 or so people off the street and taught them for three weeks a, a really simple trend-following strategy. He like wrote an algorithm and turned them into algorithm execution machines. That's right. And uh, they, you know, the, the ones who followed the algorithm made quite good money. The other, there were some like less efficient machines that kind of you know, started, started being discretionary well, and, and didn't do so good. Um, but I think that's a terrific example of a financial algorithm that really didn't involve any machines because it was you know, 1980 or something. So f- fear not the algorithm, I guess. Or, not, or not, not because it's an algorithm. But, but an algorithm, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pattern, right? Whether it's, it's behavior or, or, or code or the like, that, that you're, you're repeating, right? And it's a, it's a building block with just for, for some sort of output. Yeah. It's inputs, transformations, outputs, and yeah, pre- preferably it works, and preferably it's sort of reasonably generalized, so it works across... And, and I think where that comes out in in in, in our business is is now been and, and I think it's, it's well placed. It's the primacy of process, right? So I, I think what we mean by by an algorithm it, it's a, it's a way of being explicit about process, yeah. 
and and God knows how, how many you know meetings have we been in where we're talking to you know an investor or the like where what 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 there's so much focus on is 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 is, is pro- and I think what should be focus on is, is is process, right? I mean, I mean, Rusty, I know you've you you've written about that, but this this whole notion is is that what what I think people are are, are running towards is and is ascribing to some external process, whether it's machines, whether it's a central bank, but it's. It's, and again, it's a very human response to ascribe that there must be a process out there, meaning that there's a, um, uh, a um, I'm being tongue-tied here, that there's, that there's an intentionality right out there that is pushing markets in one way or that way, but it's an intentionality that's out of their control. So that can be the machines and their process. It can be the risk parity strategies and their process. It can be any of these boogeymen that are that are that, that we're ascribing this to. And that is the capitulation, right? And and so what what I what I think we all have to find is some way to 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 pull back our um, authority over our own behaviors and decisions, even though that's so hard to do when you're not being rewarded for maintaining that sort of authority and autonomy over your own behaviors. In fact, you're being punished for that in this sort of envi- in environment when you're learned that the, the behaviors in your process, your own personal algorithms for most investors haven't worked for like eight years now. Right. right? And, and, and so it's, it's it, in the same way, and this is what I was talking about, it's hard and I think it's, it's wrong for an investor to try to change your skin or change your stripes. What I really mean is changing your process, changing your algorithms or adopting some that, that, that aren't natural when, to you. And when you were talking about that, it really struck me as sort of like you've got this, you've got like, you know, in order to have some kind of edge, you have to be a better algorithm, you know, as, as a human. I've, if I have edge, I'm a, I'm, I'm a better algorithm, you know. And so trying to be a different algorithm, that's, you know, maybe some people can make it, but a, a lot can't. You're, you're, you're built a certain way. There's some plasticity within it, but you're built a certain kind of way. But then you've got, you've got an algorithm running where every action it takes, the reward function, doesn't happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's pretty tough. I mean, that's, that's uh, you know, on the most basic level, that's what you've got, right? So it's like, oh, maybe I'm going to try and be a different algorithm. You know, maybe the re- I'll get the reward that way. When it, and it doesn't work, of course. I mean, the, the, that is the story of the evolution of, you know, focusing on the hedge fund industry in particular, right? When you observe it, there are periods of time where, because of the prevailing narratives, because of the prevailing um, things that worked, if you will, there was a certain type of algorithm, whether it was biological or, or you know, computational in, in nature, that worked. And so you find there is a particular environment that is right for a certain type of manager with a certain temperament who makes money in a particular kind of way. And then all of a sudden, if a switch flips and... God, nothing is working anymore, and you know the the market isn't pricing on fundamentals, and you know you start to get the excuses, and they shut down. But there's other people out there making money because their algorithm, their natural algorithm, the 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 home place that is where they tend to understand what's going on in the market, is 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 strong and it's working. And so, I think there are very rare and unusual examples of someone who 
of a portfolio manager who thrives in multiple different types of markets where different types of investments and, and um, styles and factors are working. I don't know of many. Right. I think it's very rare. But but here's the question, and I want to kind of uh, – maybe we can, can, can leave it at this if everybody kind of think about this question. Is there an algorithm, is there a process for investing that is – I won't use the, it sounds too highfalutin, eternal, right? Is there a process, is there an algorithm for investing that, it, and, and I, and I want to leave, leave aside the notion of, okay, you've got a, a specific, and again, I'll call it fund strategy, right? And, and, and I, I, because I think your point, Rusty, is absolutely right, and this was a point I was trying to make earlier. For every everything, there's a season for all things, right? And that and that goes for 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 specific investment processes and the like. Is there something more fundamental, other than buy low and sell high, right? As 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 a process or an algorithm that we can describe as what matters and 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 can be your compass, both for the environment we've been in, the environment I think we're about to enter. My view, different. Is is there something that, that 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 persists? I don't know. I know a lot of people would like to say, "Well, it's it's it's," and I think there are two ancient languages, two ancient processes and algorithms. One is the notion of value, and the other is the notion of growth. And I, and I think those are are, you know, in the same way we can talk about old religions, right? I, I think we can talk about those as being old algorithms and processes. That have that really have stood the test of time. I I don't know if there are others. Well, even those, I I, I think there's a bit of dispute in that the, those languages go through such extended periods of working and not working that the the tendency toward abdication or capitulation. I'm not sure which one it ends up being is so strong. It is high that right? that you find it. You know, there's there's a whole lot of great value managers who became. Um, you know, insurance adjusters in 2000, right? <laughs> right because right. they just could, they couldn't endure um, the the primacy of growth and the, the superiority of that strategy for that long, and they, they went out of business. I, I think there's only two things that it does take us actually back yeah, right to, right in time for value to start out to start working to start right. working again, you know, exactly, which is what it feels like again. You know, that's that, still, that's that's still like that right now, and it's not the tech. It doesn't. It's it's not the tech bubble. You know, you don't have. The, the, the idea that, that Facebook and Amazon are a tech bubble in the way that Pets.com or, or some of the, you know, Internet stocks were in 99 is, is ludicrous. You know, you have real – you have these tech giants are real businesses with with strong, very strong competitive positions and, you know, and things like that. But you're, you are seeing that same kind of is value investing dead? Is that algorithm dead? That, that note, that's been running – I mean, you, that, that's, in the, that's in, the, in the air right now again. So I, I love the question. Sort of, is, is there truly a man for all markets? You know, in, yeah. the, in the book title, is, is there really? You know, and we, we've talked about this before, and in, in the context of uh, video games and StarCraft games, actually, of, of like the, the master algorithm. Yes. You know, and like the master algorithm knows when it's time to flip from mm-hmm. to do one versus the other. That executive the function. And what's right. the, the executive function? Yeah, the master algorithm, executive function. Yeah, is, is that a? Uh, there, there are very few of them out there. Is it, is it possible to encode that? And yeah, I mean, in, in some ways, from a technology perspective, I, I'm actually hopeful of, of, of building that over time. But you know, we're, cl- we're clearly not there yet. Well, I will, and maybe I can leave you with this, and, and we'll, we'll be writing a note about this coming up. But 
there's there's an ex post way of thinking about this, an empirical way of thinking about this, which is to say, well, let's look at various rolling periods over the last 50 years and say, if we had set our, you know, invested our money in some static portfolio and at the end of the day said, which portfolio would end up with the, the most money? Take off all constraints and just say, what could we do to end up with the most wealth at the end of 30 years? The sort of Bernoulli log maximizing kind of function. And what you find is that the only thing those portfolios have in common, because their composition is different, their their level of risk, their, their use of leverage, it's all different. The only thing that's common there is that almost all of them, for the period in question, seek to maximize diversification. I'll leave you guys with that in terms of a, a if there is an algorithm or a man for all markets, it really is maximizing the number of different sources of return to the extent that you can. And I think that's especially important when what we're all talking about here is the narrowness of the types of algorithms that we think are determining a market, which is the market. Without getting today. so diversified that you take your, uh, your, that you're not using your risk budget. That's right. Right, which is this, this uh, thing that I've learned from, from spending time with smart people like, like Ben and Rusty here. Um, and that's, that's, I think, the trap of of diversification you see a lot, which is you over-diversify and, and then you're running a three-vol portfolio and wondering why you can't keep up with, you know, the stock market. Yeah, and so so, so I'll, I'll, I think that is the, the, the right place to end it because you, you see this in two things that I've, I've tried to write about. One is, and it's where you find, I think, the most interesting game theory going on today. It's both linguistics and in evolutionary biology. So when you look at evolutionary biology and you think of this notion of, of diversification, but still spending your risk budget, to your point. You get these, you get one of two things. You get a very successful species like a rat, right, which is very diversified, right, in, in, in terms of their behaviors, in terms of their, 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 their attributes and the like. Um, they can survive in pretty much any situation and, and still thrive. The, the other thing, the, the other very successful species, and I think, humans fall into this category are what are called the the social animals the 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 technical term is uh, is eusocial meaning e eu social but anyway it's it's humans it's termites it's bees. ants and bees right so these are i'd say the the four most successful species on earth and what they have in common all four of these species including humans we swim in a sea of communications this is the linguistics aspect of this. And that to get back to our, our process, our algorithm, how we are hardwired, the prison in which we all live, whether we're a bee, where you're, you're responding to the chemical pheromones of the queen, or it's a human where we are, again, hardwired and trained to respond to the uh, communications, the words of missionaries and our, our, everyone who's around us, it's all one and the same. And, and, and I think that to understand that we are governed by these processes, these algorithms, and to look for the processes and algorithms like diversification that actually are at the core of survival, it gets back to this, this whole notion of how do you make decisions under uncertainty? And that's, that is the human condition, and that's the, the principal question that game theory tries to, to answer. Not decisions under risk, decisions under uncertainty, because I don't know what the next 50 years are going to be for my foundation's portfolio and the like. So, so how do you do that? It's, it's diversification in a context of these processes governed by language and words, social connections, right? To be diversified 
on that and to think of it again in this, this, this last comment I swear this notion of minimizing your maximum regret minimax regret where by applying diversification appropriately by thinking in terms of our processes our human processes our human algorithms dominated by language we can actually choose these investment paths I think that provide a portfolio that will minimize our maximum regret in the future. So that's a long-winded, but that's where I think we end up. It's kind of that fundamental algorithm. And for fun, you can go check out an algorithm called Inspirobot um, and, and see how algorithms treat uh, motivational posters and language. <laughs> I'll leave it with that. I love it. Love it. Thanks, all. Thanks, everyone. This was terrific. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. They're not This commentary is being provided to you by individual personnel of Salient Partners LP and affiliates and is provided as general information only and should not be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in these materials represent the personal views of the author and do not necessarily represent the opinions of Salient. It is not investment research or research recommendation as it does not constitute substantive research or analysis. Any action that you take as a result of information contained in this podcast is ultimately your responsibility. Salient will not accept liability for any loss or damage, including without limitation to any loss of profit, which may arise directly or indirectly from use of or reliance on such information. Consult your investment advisor before making any investment decisions. It must be noted that no one can accurately predict the future of the market with certainty or guarantee future investment performance. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Salient is not responsible for any third-party content that may be accessed through this website. The distribution or photocopying of salient information contained on or downloaded from this site is strictly prohibited without the express written consent of salient. Statements in this podcast are forward-looking statements. The forward-looking statements and other views expressed herein are as of the date of this publication. Actual future results or occurrences may differ significantly from those anticipated in any forward-looking statements, and there is no guarantee that any predictions will come to pass. The views expressed herein are subject to change at any time due to numerous market and other factors. Salient disclaims any obligation to update publicly or revise any forward-looking statements or views expressed herein. This information is neither an offer to sell nor a solicitation of any offer to buy any securities. Any offering or solicitation will be made only to eligible investors and pursuant to any applicable private placement memorandum or other governing documents, all of which must be read in their entirety. Salient commentary has been prepared without regard to the individual financial circumstances and objectives of persons who receive it. Salient recommends that investors independently evaluate particular investments and strategies and encourage investors to seek the advice of a financial advisor. The appropriateness of a particular investment or strategy will depend on an investor's individual circumstances and objectives.